Benj Gould, William Small, Inhabit Season 3. We've decided to move beyond the scripted intro. We have. We have. We have evolved beyond the intro, mostly because someone told me this week that they skipped past it. So we're going to skip it as well. That's right. And uh, we're just going to talk. Just see what happens in these intro spots. Who knows where we'll go? Hey, I'm excited about this season. We are uh, talking about something that actually has helped me immensely. Same. But first... We're going to try a new thing. We're all about trying new things. We're moving away from the script and uh, we're going to, yeah, we're just going to do podcasty things that other people do. Some people on podcasts read reviews of their podcast to try and encourage more people to leave reviews. So let's just open this episode with a review from Matt Guitar Roberts. He says, worthy. Great way to start a review. It's good. I like it already. Great, thoughtful, and yet natural-sounding discussion and advice. Adopting daily regular rhythms that move us closer to Jesus in mind, speech, and action is something all of us can use and benefit from. This podcast is hitting its straps, even in its infancy. I've only just finished season one, and I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. Excellent work. Excellent review, Matt. Matt Guitar Roberts, I love you. So good. Well, Benj, we finished uh, our season two on Sabbath with Larissa Jones talking about breaking up with your phone. Since we recorded that episode, have you used your phone or have you guys broken up? Broken up. It's gone. Tech free? Tech free. 100%. No, I still use my phone. I haven't, I haven't uh, taken it out of my bedroom yet. How's, um, how's your general Sabbath practicing going? Good. Phone free. Absolutely. Loving it. It's helpful. Very good. I'm going to tell you, I've got to confess to all of our listeners and to you, uh, I made uh, a bit of an F up and uh, in the last couple of months, um, I have been shifting which day of the week my Sabbath is on. Wow. Because I have a lot of flexible work. I took some work on Mondays. I thought, yeah, each week I'll just do the rest day on a different day. And there really is, oh, I've discovered... And my family has discovered there is something in the one day in seven. Wow. Keeping that consistent. Because this has meant sometimes it's like there's like three days and then there's a day off and then there's 10 days and then there's a day off. And it's sort of one every week, but it, it, uh, it has rocked our world. Mm. So just experimenting for the sake of the podcast. And I can tell you the one in seven days thing is a good idea. There's power in the rhythm. Power in the rhythm. It's good. Hey, we were um, down near my house at the waterfront in Long Jetty, and we were discussing what are we going to talk about this season. And we're talking through all the different possibilities. And uh, we landed on this one idea, right? Yeah, we start, well, partly we kind of got to this idea thinking about how, you know, whether or not we did a, a season on uh, prayer or a season on reading scripture or a season on, I don't know, solitude or, you know, any number of the spiritual disciplines or habits that exist, all of them share one thing in common which is that you practice them as you. Mm. And the less you understand you, uh, the less maybe you'll be able to fully move into the way that you can practice those things and get the full value of them. Yep, which is, which is very exciting. So we have come to this season and it is the habit of self-awareness. Self-awareness. Figuring out what makes you tick, what your personality type is or what your you know uh unseen assumptions are we all have heaps of those 
So um, we're going to get into that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a study by, um, by Cornell University and they um, basically examined um, 72 like CEOs um, of kind of these big large companies that had a revenue between 50 million and 5 billion. So big kind of successful companies. Quite a bit of revenue. A little bit of revenue. And they, they found that the number one predictor of success along those, for, the, for those CEOs was self-awareness. Which is pretty crazy because most people would not guess that. I actually do uh, workshops with, with teams and with groups around, you know, uh, communication and um, how to, uh, I guess, you know, improve as a team in terms of your communication. And I often ask them because there's, there's, it's not only the Cornell University study, there's also a study that Stanford Business School did with very similar findings looking at top CEOs and executives. You know, what's that, that attribute for success? And if you ask people just off the cuff, like, what do you think is the most important attribute for success in a CEO or high-level executive? Most people would say charisma or they might say, you know, they've got real strong motivation or they're very good with a budget. Uh, but it's not like the first answer we go to is self-awareness, but there's kind of research to back up that that is what things rise or fall on. Yeah, absolutely. I remember going through our church planter assessment, which was kind of this big process of all these, you know, they poked and prodded you and decided whether you were up to the challenge of planting a church. And one of the key things that they look at is self-awareness, which um, is interesting. But when you think about it, it it really does make sense because um, there's so much that we do and go through life in just reactive ways that we don't even understand like why we're making that decision, who we are in, in the sense of like, where is that core decision coming from? Um, I love the quote from Gregory of Nyssa, who is one of the kind of church fathers. Um, he says, sin happens whenever we refuse to continue to grow. And I love that idea because um, it makes sin, not this thing that's always this kind of um, intention to harm someone else or this like, underlying kind of evil trait that you just want to ruin the world or whatever mm. but it's actually just us stopping growing and i think the the number one thing that is kind of fuel to the fire of growth is self-awareness the more we can understand who we are why we make decisions the perspective we're holding when we make those decisions how how i interact with god how i interact with other people the more we can understand that that's where growth actually comes from Absolutely. And it, it makes sense. I mean, to go back to the days when we did use an intro, you know, we had that question in there, like, uh, like around who are we becoming? Um, and our habits are kind of, they kind of predict who we become. And self-awareness is actually that ability to see the habit and to step outside of it and realize um, that we can, we can make those changes. We don't have to just live out of how we've lived in the past. And I love that idea of, you know, again, sin happens when we refuse to continue to grow. Um, because I think God has made us to be, um, you know, to be in a, a constant process of becoming, of being transformed, of growing into something uh, that we weren't yesterday, which is really awesome. When I think about self-awareness and I try and think about, you know, uh, almost becoming aware of self-awareness, I think about things like um, when I got married, for example, and when I started to um, become a part of two families and realized that there were ways that Sam's family did things that were very different to the way my family did things and the way that they, you know, handled, uh, you know, conflict or the way that they sat around a meal table or the way that they, um, 
you know, spent their time together, it was super different. To Which way, way you put the it. toilet roll on? Yeah. Face out or face back? There's well, definitely a right way. Obviously, obviously. Which is the right way? Uh, it's front, front facing. Facing out. Yeah. Yes, good. Good, good, good. Just, as long as we're all clear <laughs> on that. But that's it. You realise, you know, and, you know, even take family out of it. Like just, yeah, moving in, moving in with somebody and realising you do things in different ways. I, I remember before I got married, I moved into a, a group house with two of my mates and it was, it was sort of like the ultimate dream living with two of your mates, but it was also like the ultimate shattering glass of like, dude, you're a disgusting animal. Yes. Do the dishes every once in a while. Uh, but that kind of thing makes you go, oh, the way that I do it is not the only way people do it. Uh, another like place where I've kind of really become aware of that self is anytime I've traveled overseas, you know, you end up driving on the wrong side of the road and you think this is, you know, weird. Like how, how could people do it this way? But then you realize, oh, actually they think the way I do it's weird. So I've learned how to do all these things that are normal to me, but they're not normal for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I think getting outside of your normal space, your normal comfort zone teaches you so much about yourself. I remember being in Houston airport and I went up to a Mexican restaurant and asked for a bottle of water. And um, so I just went up to the counter and said, can I have a bottle of water, please? And she just looked at me blankly. And I was like, just a bottle of water. And she just didn't reply. And she goes over to to another employee and they start whispering and and talking about me. And she comes over, the other staff member, I say, just a bottle, of, a bottle of water, thank you. And they're just like looking at each other going, what the heck is going? They bring someone else over. Wow. And they're, they're talking amongst themselves. They're talking English and I'm talking English, but they, they're not understanding me. And then I finally got it. I worked out I was in America and I said, can I have a bottle of water? And they said, wow. oh, water. And so then I got a bottle of water. But that was, that was a shock to me because like it's – it's just something you are automatically doing. And to me, it sounds perfectly fine and normal, but the way it's perceived by other people uh, is, is not that way. I remember I was uh, in college and I was leading uh, our, our chapel, leading worship in chapel for the first time at Hillsong College. It's kind of the big deal. I was really anxious about it. It's like a thousand people. And um, we, we did the thing and it was fine. And, but afterwards there's like this huddle that happens and the trainer comes over and it's kind of this learning environment. And so he would go around and, and talk about things that each person needs to work on. And he would tell me, he told me that moment that, you know, when I spoke, you couldn't hear me because I wasn't projecting my voice. You know, when you sing, you project your voice, but when you speak on the microphone, no one can hear you. And so like that kind of chatted, it's just a small thing. It chatted me, but Mm. it helped me realize that, when I spoke, I needed to project my voice. And it's just kind of that, that unless you have that outside in kind of moment, that those environments where you clash against something different, then there's so much that we don't understand or see about ourselves. And often the opportunity for self-awareness, I think in both those stories and, and in my stories too, it comes from uh, places of discomfort. It comes from when your normal is rocked. And when you find yourself in a position that you're like, uh, the formula is not working out the way it's supposed to. And I've put these numbers into the calculator, but the answer's coming out differently. Those are those moments where like you become aware of self. And then I think the work of self-awareness is to actually ask questions like, you know, 
could there be a better way of doing things? Or even if I continue to do things this way, could I become more empathetic to people that do it differently to me? And when you think about all those things, like you kind of mentioned having an accent, you know, our self-awareness is, is uh, our, our culture. It's the home that we grew up in. It's the, the media that we're exposed to all our lives, our kind of national identity. The, you know, the uh, school that we went to might have its own little narratives. There are all of these uh, factors and stories and our faith community. Like for me, I've always grown up in Baptist churches. So anytime I've gone to a church that is not a Baptist church, uh, whether that's going to like a Hillsong environment or going to like a midnight mass on Christmas Eve at a, at a Catholic church, those environments have just shown me my normal is not normal for mm. everyone. Mm. Uh, it's important. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think, um, you know, in following Jesus, in becoming more like Jesus, self-awareness is like absolutely critical because when we become more like Jesus, we actually become more of who we are. Who, who God's created us to be and called us to be. And that's a kind of a process of shedding off who we aren't as well. And um, that, that takes all sorts of kind of internal work. It takes community to point out those things. It takes different experiences and un- uncomfortable spaces and grief and all sorts of stuff to, to bring up that self-awareness. But um, it is a lifelong journey of learning yourself Mm. and so we're going to look at that which i'm really excited about and i think you know to just build on that quickly like i love the idea that self is actually part of god's design and you know if you ask the question i used to think like if we were all to live perfectly if we were all to live like jesus would we all just become the same Mm. like would we fail to have any distinguishing factors and i actually think that's the beauty of it is like christ formed in you benj you living a fully christ-like life would look different to me living a fully Christ-like life because God in his creativity has created this diversity of self. And so we're not just diverse in our faults, but we're diverse in our, in our strengths and in, in our potential to, to be fully realized into something beautiful that looks different for each of us. Yeah, it's beautiful. It kind of reminds me, I don't know if I'm allowed to use a Bible verse here, Will, but... Uh, you have permission. Okay, thank you. I think it's John 13. I'll, I'll check that later. And it, and it says, um, knowing... Jesus, knowing who he was, that the Father had given him all authority, he got up, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he bent down and he washed his disciples' feet. Wow. And I love that. Like, that's always struck me so, um, so clearly that because Jesus knew who he was, he knew that he had all power and all authority, he had the freedom to humble himself and to serve. And um, it's until, until we know who we are and we can differentiate ourselves from the world and those around us, then we actually can't give much to the world. That is a profound thought. And I really look forward to unpacking, unpacking that over the next few episodes. And um, I think the other reason that we really wanted to talk about this is, you know, probably uh, speaking from our generational moment as well as our cultural moment. You know, I look around, Benj, and I just see so many people in terms of their Christian faith going through what is often called deconstruction. And, um, you know, I can relate to that. I'm not speaking as somebody who, who doesn't know what that's about personally. And deconstruction is kind of when you begin to look at what you've been handed. You become aware of, you know, maybe the faith that your parents gave you or the faith that your church has kind of raised you with. 
And you start to wonder like, you know what, does this actually fit with the world that I live in or the friendship groups that I have or how I think about different issues? And it kind of feels like things begin to fall apart and suddenly you have all of these tricky questions and your faith, which was once like this lovely little package that held together is like all of these pieces on the ground around you and you're kind of like, what do I do with this? And I actually was thinking that we can go through deconstruction um, without being self-aware. We can just do it as a reaction. You know, you look through history and things are constantly in reaction towards each other. And, and we swing from, you know, the extremes of conservatism to the extremes of progressivism or we swing from, you know, one end of like uh, slavery to kind of the extreme of liberation, which kind of becomes slavery to a different master. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, how could we actually become self-aware in a way that doesn't mean we avoid something like deconstruction, but that when we go through it, we're actually able to step outside of ourselves, look at the way that we're asking those questions and the way that we're engaging with the wrestle and the struggle of faith and uh, avoid just becoming arrogant in the process because I think often what happens is if we're doing some of that work uncritically, we kind of feel like we're the first people to ever have those ideas or ask those questions. But self-awareness kind of helps us to realise, oh, people have been doing this kind of questioning, deconstructing, wrestling and putting things back together forever. For sure, for sure. And, and simply being aware of why you're deconstructing. Like what is it that, what changed? Mm. And usually it's, you know, you've been put in a new environment, you've been exposed to different ideas maybe and the things that you um, assumed about your faith or about life aren't standing up to those things and so everything begins to fall apart. Um, but it's just being aware of that and being self-aware enough of where those things that you originally held on to, where that actually came from and what was the kind of ground beneath them, um, the more that we can investigate out that about ourselves, when something comes, an idea that challenges our view of God or life or Jesus or the Bible or whatever it is, the more we can know where, you know, where that idea actually came from within us rather than just assuming that's the way it has to be or the way that someone told me, so that's always got to be that way. And if it's wrong, then the whole thing's wrong. Yeah, and to go back to the examples that seem maybe more trivial that we used at the beginning, like going overseas and realising that you're driving on a different side of the road, that could throw you into some sort of existential crisis where you're like, oh man, I've always driven on the, I've always driven on the left side of the road. I thought that was like morally correct. I thought that, you know, like that was the way you were supposed to do things. You go somewhere where it's not done like that, you start to freak out. Um, you might actually end up going back to your home country and very comfortably driving on the left side of the road with the knowledge that not everyone does it that way, but it's okay to do it that way. So I kind of think, you know, like it's, you could look at some examples of where we've been through uh, undoing in our own lives and we've come back to our original position but in a more humble and realistic way, you know, maybe that might be the path that some of us end up walking. Yeah, that's good. I was reading uh, a book called A Failure of Nerve by Edward Friedman. Edwin Friedman? Edwin's a great name, isn't it? Edwin Friedman. Edwin. Um, and he, he talks about, uh, basically he's a, like a family psychologist but he um, takes his kind of knowledge and learning and applies it to um, large organizations and countries Um, but he talks about you know every entity in the universe that is destructive shares one major characteristic what is so so all things that are so like cancer people who are um, addicted to substances 
um, abusers of, of people, viruses, all these things share one characteristic, and that is that they are not able to self-regulate. Wow. And um, I love that thought because it shows us that the healthy things are able to self-regulate, that they know uh, who they are, mm. they know what what they are, if it's a cell or whatever, it has clear boundaries. It knows how it interacts with the other cells around it. Um, and that's where health comes from. Um, and so the more that we can understand who we are, the more that we can see our boundaries, the more we can understand our place in the rest of society, our community, um, the healthier we are, the more we can c- contribute to the good in the world. So good. Wow, you wouldn't, yeah, it's another thing that just most people wouldn't necessarily think that. What, what's the number one characteristic that all destructive things share? Well, they can't self-regulate. That's mm. uh, a profound thought. Um, I know that I haven't read that book by Edwin as well, but I, I know that he talks about um, kind of a solution in a lot of those family systems or in a lot of those kind of unhealthy structures is actually uh, a non-anxious presence. That's kind of what he's famous for yeah. in terms of helping leaders uh, to develop um, that posture of asking, what does it look like for me to be a non-anxious presence in a system that is a kind of ready to explode? Yeah, that's right. He, he talks about how our Western culture is like anxiety-ridden, like right into the depths of us. Like we are just anxious and frantic and we're, and we're just searching for things. We're moving at a pace that we just can't keep up with. And he talks about the, the key to health. And so when he works with a family that is in... Um, an anxious stage and it's you know splitting apart and people are are not connected if he can just find one person in that family um, even if it's the the youngest child that can be differentiated that can know themselves enough he'll work with that one person and just them being a non-anxious presence in their family actually brings health to the family if they can self-regulate themselves the, the the family becomes healthier which is um which is pretty incredible that is incredible. And we should probably mention that that's not necessarily when we talk about anxiety to say that somebody who's kind of got, uh, you know, a struggle with anxiety actually can't be a non-anxious presence. I think that's the beauty Absolutely. of this stuff. And I think that um, when you do the work, uh, you can live out almost a different story to what maybe is happening in your head um, because you've actually learnt, okay, so this is what everything in me is saying to do right now but I actually know that what's going to bring peace and calm, not only to me, but to the people around me um, is to do the opposite or is to do something different. So love the power in that. Um, Dr. Henry Cloud is obviously another person who's all about this sort of stuff. And his book integrity, you know, is all about um, the courage to face the demands of reality, I think Mm. is his definition of integrity. And it, again, it's that like, can you actually ruthlessly look at yourself, the systems that you're within the reality of things because that's the beginning of, of real change. Um, and you got this great quote that you showed me before from, from Henry Cloud as well, where he kind of says, the less we look at and work on ourselves, the more others have to, which is the reality of it, right? Like if we don't do the self-work, then other people end up cleaning up from our destructive habits and patterns and having to do that work, which should never have been theirs to do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and you, you can all think of people in your own life that have been you know, reactive and, um, uh, you know, angry and lashed out for seemingly no reason. And everyone else has to deal with that because they've been unable to self-regulate themselves and to work through 
you know, why they might react to a certain situation in that way. And so I think as followers of Jesus, our, our primary role is to know and love ourselves. I think of the great commandment says, love your neighbor as yourself, mm. which tells me that I can't love my neighbor until I know and love myself or, or I can only love my neighbor to the, to the degree that I know and love myself. Um, which is which is a kind of a controversial thing to say, um, yeah. In I some think, senses, I think the reason people probably get confused about that is they confuse self awareness with uh, self centeredness or with uh, egotism. Mm. And I think it's really important that we say up front that there's a big difference between those two things because self centeredness or, or kind of being really ego centered um, is probably more about just self gratification, and it's more just about again blindly pursuing. Uh, whatever's going to meet your appetite. Whereas self-awareness is actually becoming aware of, is that even a healthy appetite to have in the first place? Um, Or should I actually retrain my mind so that I'm not always going after that thing? So yeah, I think broadly that self-awareness is about knowing both our strengths. There's definitely a part of self-awareness, which is about loving and knowing the parts of you that are really amazing and really unique and not being uh, kind of having a false sense of humility around those things where you're like, nah, I'm really actually not that good at this thing when you are like, it's okay to own that stuff. But then the other side of self-awareness is also being really, really honest and, and knowledgeable about what, uh, you know, some people call your shadow side, those parts of you that are, um, you know, distorted, those parts of you that are constantly there trying to um, turn things, turn things around That's in right. a negative way. Yeah, I I heard someone say the other day, um, other other awareness, others awareness starts with self awareness. That and it's just like that same passage um, with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Like he knew who he was, and so he could serve. And um, you know, actually knowing ourselves well enough enables us to uh, do good in the world, be be a force for good. Join God in the renewal, renewal of all things. Be and bring good news into every situation that we go into, and knowing our limits as well. Knowing where um, I am broken, and knowing the parts of me that are um, under construction still, and and that certain things will push on that. And just simply knowing that, knowing my tendencies towards unhealth, no, helps me to actually be healthy in those situations. To, to stay away from certain things or to actually deal things with things head on. So, um, so good. it's good. Well, I think that's, uh, that's enough of a, a little preview of where we're going. Um, but really from, from here for the next several episodes, we're going to be looking at questions like how do we become more self-aware? Um, how do we follow Jesus as the unique self that we are? How do we work through our shadow side and how do we kind of lean into and, and become, you know, uh, greater in our strength areas? And uh, how do we move through different stages of, you know, whether that's deconstruction or other stages of growth and development? And rather than getting stuck, we actually learn how to move through them. So in the meantime, go and leave us a review on iTunes and we might read it on our next episode. Yeah. The other thing is at the end of this season, we want to do a question and response episode. And so if you have any questions, um, things that thought, thoughts that come up, ideas, um, give us a, a private message at, to either of our Instagram or Facebook, whatever. Will Small at Will Small at William Small. At William Small. Full name. And at Benj Gould. 
and uh, we will look at them then. See you next time. See ya.